Thank you for joining us for our current sermon series at City Baptist Church. And this is Pastor Paul, and right now we're in a study of the life of one of the most well-known individuals in all of Scripture, King David from the book of 1 Samuel. As we study the highs and lows of his life, we'll see that in every circumstance, God is working for his glory and for our good. We are so thankful that you would choose to grow in your faith with us. And if there's anything we can do for you, we would love to hear from you through our website or social media accounts. We really do believe that God is changing lives through His Word, and so we are praying that you'd be encouraged and challenged by this week's message. All right, I want to talk to you this morning as we begin. I want you to ask you this question, and maybe you'll even respond with me. How many of you know what I mean when I talk about a core memory? How many of you heard that term before? Something that was a core memory for you. You know, sometimes these are things often that happen to us or, or, or memories that are made in our younger years. Things that just sort of stick with us. When I was young, I was only five years old. My parents took me and my three older sisters and flew us across the world to Sydney, Australia for a month. It was crazy looking back. I can't believe they did it, but they did. Four kids. I was five. My oldest sister would have been 12 or 13. And they took us to Australia for a month. We have some friends who live there in the Melbourne area. And so we stayed with them and did some touring. And looking back, I mean, it was just an incredible trip, especially for someone as young as five to go on. And we got to see some awesome things. We saw the Sydney Opera House. We went camping and, and fed wild kangaroos at the base of the Blue Mountains. We even pulled over on the highway and saw a, a koala out in the wild, which our friends who lived in Australia their whole lives, they had never seen it until the day we were there. Some pretty special memories. But you know what? After all of that money in those plane tickets and all of the effort I'm sure it was to drag us four kids literally across the world, do you know what my core memory is from my trip to Australia? My core memory is laying on the floor of our friend's living room and playing the board game guess who? When I think about my trip to Australia, that's what sticks out to me is playing the board game, guess who? Now, I'm sure my parents would be devastated. <laughs> that's a lot of money and a lot of effort for me to play guess who. I could have stayed at home and played guess who. But you know what's interesting about that is that we don't get to choose our core memories. I don't know why. I'm sure my parents would have wanted it to be the opera house or the koalas or the kangaroos. But for me, my core memory of that trip is just playing guess who on the living room floor. You know what? We don't get to choose our memories, and we don't get to choose what other people remember about us. I wish we could. I wish we could manufacture what other people remember of us and the legacy that we leave, but we don't. And others may remember us for our highlights and our moments of great victory and success, but other times we may be remembered for our character flaws, our lapses in judgments, our lowlights in our lives. And today, as we consider the story of David and continue to look at his life, I want you to consider the highlights and the lowlights of a king. Last week, we saw David, the anointed king. He's on the run from the current king, Saul. They're in this kind of royal roadrunner and wily coyote battle back and forth, right? David is on the run, and Saul is taking chase. Last week in chapter 24, we saw that David was hiding with his men in the caves of Engedi. And Saul, as he's chasing David, he uh, happens to go into a cave to relieve himself, to use the bathroom. Do you remember the story? And it just so happens that the cave he uses is the cave where David and his men are hiding deep 
in the recesses. And so as they're hiding in the cave, David has been gifted this incredible temptation and opportunity. A temptation and opportunity to take matters into his own hands. To no longer trust God to deliver his promise that David would be the future king, but instead to to lift up his hand and to remove the only person who's standing in the way of what God has promised him in the future. And David's men encouraged them like, David, this is your chance. God has delivered King Saul into your hand. But we saw last week that this was an incredible highlight of victory in David's life. Instead of lifting his hand up against the king's, or against God's anointed king, against God's anointed man, instead, David humbly trusts the Lord. And David uh, gives over the need to, to exact his own revenge, and he just trusts God in his timing. He humbles himself before Saul. And it was an incredible victory for David. Instead of responding to the evil of Saul with evil, he responded to evil with good, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do in the lives of our lives as Christians, to respond to evil with kindness and good. And so that was what we saw last week, a highlight in David's life, trusting in the Lord and responding to evil with good. And now with that in mind, let's go and turn our attention to 1 Samuel chapter 25 this morning. This is an interesting narrative, an interesting story. And we're going to have to kind of keep moving to cover enough ground. And so I want you to stay with me. We're going to walk through most of the passage, reading some sections and verses along the way. And near the end, we're going to try to draw out some some major applications that I believe the Lord has for us this morning. Let's look at 1 Samuel 25 and verse number 1. And Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in his house at Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. This chapter begins on a plain and somber note. And Samuel died. While all of Israel gathers to to bury him and to lament and to mourn his death, David and his army of men, they flee and head southwest and and into the wilderness of Paran. Perhaps they went there to just have some time away to grieve. Chances are that now that Samuel has died, however... Samuel being one of David's great encouragers and supporters and even protector, that the the threat on David's life is even more serious than before. And so we see David and his army of about 600 men, they they flee and they head down to the wilderness. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 2. The Bible says, And there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. And the man was very great. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in all his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. Okay, so here we're introduced to the two major characters of our narrative today, apart from David. We see Nabal and his wife, Abigail. Scripture says that Nabal was a great man, which is just to say this, he was rich. We're going to find out he was not great in about any other definition of the word, but he had great wealth and he had great riches. Remember that this is a day where uh, wealth is not measured by coins or currency, but in animals and land. So this is quite a flex to say he has 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. Like this is, this is him showing off. Not fancy watches or cars, but sheep and goats. And then we meet his wife, Abigail. And scripture has high praise for Abigail. She's called a woman of good understanding. She's a wise and discerning wife. 
And she's also called a woman of a beautiful countenance. Scripture doesn't call many uh, ladies in Scripture beautiful countenance, but it does a few, and Abigail is one of them. But I want you to notice the contrast between Abigail and her husband. She is beautiful, she is wise, she's discerning. And look what Scripture says about Nabal. It says that he is churlish and evil in all his doings. I like saying that word, churlish. It just, it kind of sounds evil, churlish. It means that he's severe, or he's cruel, or he's harsh. Get this, Nabal's name even means fool. <laughs> now, I know there's some expecting parents in the room. I'm, you, know, you can do whatever you want, but if it was me, I wouldn't name my child fool. <laughs> do with that information what you will. If that's on your list, that's between you and the Lord, all right? Um, but it's an interesting name choice by Nabal's parents. They name him fool, and unfortunately, we see that he lives up to be every part of his name. He's a wicked man, an evil man. Let's continue reading about Nabal and Abigail in verse number four. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David sent out 10 young men. And David said unto the young men, get you up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus shall ye say to him that liveth in prosperity, peace be both to thee and peace be to thine house and peace be unto all that thou hast. And now I have heard that thou hast shearers. Now thy shepherds which were with us, we hurt them not. Neither was there aught missing unto them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son, David. Okay, so here's the inciting incident in the story today. We learn that it's sheep shearing season in Carmel. And for a guy like Nabal, who had 3,000 sheep, this would be a time of celebration, of riches, and of festivity. You see, if, if uh, the time of sheep shearing would be similar to the time of harvest for somebody who was a farmer, this is a time when they would reap the rewards of their labor. And so David even tells him, he says, hey, we've come to you in a good day. And here's what else we learn in this little passage. We learn that while David and his men were in the wilderness, they came across Nabal's flocks and his shepherds in that same wilderness. Now again, remember, sheep are the currency of the day. So there's no bank heist movies at this time. There's sheep stealing movies, okay? Uh, they sound riveting. There, there's movies about stealing sheep. That, that's a very common thing would be to steal people's sheep. And so David, again, and his men, they come onto these, they find the sheep and they find Nabal's young men. But instead of stealing or taking from them, they in fact do the opposite. They provide a layer of protection for them. And David says, hey, go tell Nabal that while we were with your men, none of your sheep went missing. In fact, we protected you from people who might want to take of your flock. And so he goes to Nabal and he says, hey, I got 600 men here. Would you give of, of your increase? Would you give of your reaping and your harvest? Would you give some to help me to take care of my army? Now, at first glance for us, we may be like, that's a, that's a pretty big ask, David. You've got like 600 guys. But it's important to understand this culturally. The sheep shearing time was not just a time of riches and wealth and celebration, but often a time of generosity. You see, nobody who was able to get their sheep safely to shearing season would have been able to do it on their own. So it was very common and very customary that at the time when you finally received the wealth of your work, that you would give generously to those who had assisted you along the journey. 
And so it's really not culturally all that uncommon what David is doing to Nabal. He's asking for a favor that would have been culturally very, uh, very familiar for people. I want you to pick up the story. Look at verse number 10 with me. We'll see Nabal's response to David's request. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? And there be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? Remember, remember Scripture calls Nabal harsh, severe, churlish. We're starting to see why. Not only did Nabal refuse to offer generosity to David and his men, he also insults him greatly. You see, when Nabal says, who is David and who is the son of Jesse, I don't believe he's, he's genuinely asking, like, who is this David guy? Chances are, and we know this because his wife Abigail knows all about who David is. He even knows he's the son of Jesse. He knows who David is. And so the tone here is not like, who's this David guy? But rather, who does David think he is? He insults his name. He insults his family. And then notice what he said. He said, how do I know you're not just one of these servants that have broken away from their master? Imagine the insult that would be to David and his character and his pride and his ego. He's like, yeah, I'm on the run from my master, all right, because he's trying to kill me. I'm not the one who's been unfaithful. I'm not the one who hasn't been loyal. And imagine David in his head is playing through the events of chapter 24. Just last week, we saw he had an opportunity to kill the king, and he didn't. And now he's being accused of being unloyal? Imagine how that would hurt his pride and his ego. Who am I? Only the anointed king of Israel. That's it. David's men returned this harsh message from Nabal to David. And look at verse number 13. And David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men and 200 abode by the stuff. Okay, so here's what happens. David responds in anger and rage. It's like, how dare you insult me? How dare you refuse to extend generosity to me, Nabal? And so he says, hey, 200 of the guys, you stay here. 400, grab your swords, you're going with me. And we learn later on in the passage that they're heading, and David makes a vow that says, hey, by the time the sun rises tomorrow morning, there will not be any males left in the family line of Nabal. Whoa. David takes this to some serious places. He responds out of anger and fury and rage. And here he is about to create a, uh, commit a great sin. And I want you to see this reality from the life of David. In David's life, and I want you to see it in our own lives too, that none of us are above great failure. Even when we've demonstrated great faith and trust in God in the past, even when opportunities and decisions came up and we inquired of the Lord in the past, it doesn't mean that we're beyond failure and self-reliance and sin in the present. Even though David had a great highlight last week, he stands here on the precipice of a great failure. The temptation always arises to rely on ourselves and to respond in situations in our own flesh and our own strength. Here's how I saw this play out in my life this week. You know, I just mentioned earlier that God has been leading us really for the last year to, be, to move here and to join the, the staff and the, and the family of City Baptist. And we're so excited about God's leading and direction in our lives. 
And I could take time this morning to walk you through uh, specific answers to prayer that we've seen. I could show you God's leading and direction in like the coolest ways in our lives. I could show you God's provision and how he's met our needs in ways that went just above and beyond whatever we thought and whatever we dreamed. And yet as we've arrived in these first few weeks, you know what I find myself struggling with? Lord, will you provide for us now? God, you've led us here, but will you abandon us now that we're here? God, are you still with us? How foolish for me. I've I've trusted God in the past and he's come through and he's been good and he's been faithful in so many of the big things. And yet I find myself like David, relying on my own strength, relying on my own arm of flesh that will fail me. We're not gonna take time to read it, but the story continues in chapter, uh, verse 14 to 23. One of Nabal's servants who catches wind of what's going on, he goes to Abigail, Nabal's wife. And he warns her, he's like, hey, Abigail, David is on his way to, to do some pretty serious damage. You gotta do something. I love what he says there. He's like, he's like hey, I would have talked to Nabal, but he's so evil, you, you can't even talk to that guy. So here I am, I'm talking to you. And Abigail, very quickly, she hatches a plan. She prepares this this gift, this feast to give to David and his men. It's a giant feast of loaves and wine and sheep and parched corn and raisins and fig cakes. Sounds good, eh? Fig cakes. She sends the servants ahead with this gift, with this feast, and she follows uh, behind on the way to meet David. And I want to pick up the story here in verse number 23. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. She comes before David and she humbles herself and she takes uh, the blame for a crime that she didn't commit, for a sin that she didn't do. She says, upon me be the iniquity. And then she begs David, she says, hey, will you just hear me out? Give me an audience. Give me just a moment of your time. And we're about to see Abigail's speech here to David. But one thing I want to notice and address before we do. This is an amazing passage of scripture. But I'll be honest, the first time I read it, I was really confused. And so it's important you make this distinction. And this will be helpful for you as you read through the scriptures at home, especially through the Old Testament. You're going to see in this this little section of the passage, uh, Abigail say, the Lord and my Lord. When she says the Lord, and it's spelt in all caps, she's speaking about God. When she says my Lord, she's referring to David in a term of respect, okay? And so just keep that in mind as we read these next few verses. Uh, Pick up the story in verse 25. Abigail says this, let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal. Listen to this, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. She's like, he's a fool, just like his name. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, whom thou didst send. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood. Do you see how bold she is? She's like, hey, since I'm here to stop you and since you're going to listen to me, she just assumes. She's so bold, but I, I love it. She says, seeing as the Lord hath withholden thee, from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand. Now let thine enemies, as they seek, and they that seek to do evil to my Lord, be as Nabal. Look at verse 27. 
And now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that, thou, that follow my Lord. She's like, hey, you look, looking for some food for your guys? Here, take this. Give it to your young men. Give it to your shepherds. Look at verse 28. She says, I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord. And evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul. But the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God and the souls of thine enemies. Them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. Okay, so there's, there's a full sermon in those verses and we don't have time to do that. But I want to kind of look at two things quickly from the life of Abigail. Number one, I want you to notice God's intervening grace in David's life. Here on the precipice of a great failure, a great sin, responding to situations in his own strength, and his own flesh, God intervenes in David's life through Abigail. And aren't we thankful for God's intervening grace in our lives? Where would we be were it not for the grace of God who has kept us from temptation? It makes me think of the verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer to be tempted above that year able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that she may be able to bear it. Abigail was David's way of escape in the temptation to, re- to rely and to lean on his own strength and to take things into his own hand. And I'm sure if you were honest with yourself, you could look back and see the faithful and, and, and intervening hand of God in your life who's kept you from so much sin and heartache and struggle and praise the Lord for that. In fact, I believe that Abigail is a small, uh, somewhat blurry and incomplete, but a small picture of Jesus Christ to come. I want you to notice this with me. Abigail rides a donkey to meet David. She then humbles herself and takes the blame for sins and crimes that she did not commit. Reminds me of our Savior who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and humbled himself and became obedient unto, the de- unto death, even the death of the cross, who took the penalty of our sin and our wrongdoing upon him, though in him there was no sin, so that he could be the Savior of the world. He could be our substitutionary righteousness. She reminds me of our Savior, how she puts herself at risk for the salvation of many others. And praise God for Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate measure and the ultimate expression of intervening grace. And today, would you just take a moment, if you know Jesus as your Savior, to thank God for how he has intervened in your life. Praise the Lord. I want to see one more thing from Abigail before we keep moving. There are times in life where we may be called upon to speak into a brother or sister's life the way that Abigail does here in the passage. It's part of being a church family. It's part of being a community around the gospel. It means that we are invested in one another's lives and we really care. And so if uh, you see a brother or sister who you love making decisions in their own strength and being wayward and walking away from the Lord, God may at times put that person on your heart. And God may, may convict you and, and make it clear to you that it is your responsibility to, as Galatians 6 says, to restore a fallen brother, a wayward brother with a spirit of meekness. There may be a moment when you're called upon to do that. And so let's learn a few quickly, quick principles from Abigail 
if we are going to speak into others' lives and if we're going to restore those who are wayward or walking away from God, what, what spirit, what posture, what, what, what can we learn from Abigail? Number one, I want you to notice she was humble. She comes to David in humility. She doesn't come on her high horse and she doesn't come from a point of authority and like, hey, David, you need to, you need to get better. You need to get right with God. Look at me. I'm doing what's right. No, she humbles herself before David. And what a great lesson for us to learn, not to speak out of our authority or our own righteousness, but to humble ourselves. Look at number two. She reminds David of God's promise. She reminds him, hey, remember what God has promised to you. In verse 28, she's like, hey, he's promised to make you a sure house. David, God's going to establish your kingdom. God's going to establish your home. He's going to establish you as the, the ruler of the nation of Israel. Don't you forget what God has promised. What a lesson for us that we would point people back to God's word and God's promises. It wouldn't be about what we say, but that we would encourage people to consider once again the promises and the commandments of God. Look at notice three, number three. She reminds David of God's past faithfulness. She's like, hey, there's a man who's seeking your life, but I know that your life is, is safe in the bundle of the living. She's like, David, God has been protecting you. God has been watching over you every step of the journey, and I know that. And so don't forget how God has been faithful to you in the past. Don't now walk away from him in this moment. I love she also says this. She says, hey, God's going to sling your enemies and throw your enemies as if thrown from the hollow of a sling. What a reference that would be to David. I don't know if you remember the story of David and Goliath. She'd be calling to remembrance. Hey, David, remember when you had a literal giant in your path and God fought your battles and you trusted in God? Remember how he took down the giants in your past? You can trust him with your Nabals. She says, don't forget God's faithfulness in the past. And lastly, she reminds David of his purpose in the future. I like this. She says, I know that you are someone who fights the Lord's battles <laughs> as he's on his way to fight his own battle. It's almost like telling someone who's just angry and mad, being like, hey, you know what I love about you is that you always just keep your temper under control. <laughs> it's like a reality check for David. She's like, hey, you can almost see her insinuating like, hey, David, you fight God's battles and this is not one of them. So let me remind you about what kind of man you are, what your purpose is. You're a warrior, but you're fighting God's battles. And she again reminds him that David's calling, David's purpose is to step into the, 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 the position of the ruler of the nation of Israel. And she says, hey, don't step into that carrying the sin and the regret of this poor decision. Don't carry that baggage. Don't carry that mistake, that blemish with you as you step into God's calling. And what, what a lesson for us as we remind people, hey, God has a purpose for you. God has a plan. And the decisions we make today are potentially things that we carry with us. And so walk forward to God's calling in your life with a clear conscience, with integrity, because God has something amazing for David and God has something amazing for you. And so in those moments, church family, when we're called upon to be an Abigail, would you remember these things? Would you approach it with a, a posture of humility? Would you put people towards the word would you remind them of God's faithfulness? And would you remind them of God's purpose in their lives? Let's continue the story. Look at verse number 32. And David said to Abigail, here's David's response. He said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice. And blessed be thou which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. 
Abigail's intervention works. David's anger is stayed. And he turns from uh, being ready to kill in rage. And you notice that Abigail's intervention leads him to worship and praise God. He's like, praise be to God who sent you to stop me. And it's an incredible story of God's intervening grace. Now, what I'm going to do is quickly, I'm going to just give you the rest of the story, okay? And so, Abigail heads home to tell Nabal, her husband, what's happened. She gets home and finds him in a drunken stupor. Surprise, surprise. In her wisdom, she waits until the morning to tell him about what she's done. Scripture says that when she tells Nabal that his heart died within him and turned to stone, some type of heart attack or goes into some type of coma, stroke. And 10 days later, Nabal dies. He gives up the ghost. Isn't it amazing how when David finally trusted God with his battles, that God did fight them for him? God knew that David was insulted. God cared. He cared enough to send a message to Nabal. But how much better it is when we trust God and give those things over to God instead of fighting our own battles, responding to our pride and our ego in rage and trying to work the, what the wrath of man does not work the will of God, the righteousness of God, James 1 tells us. And there's a bit of a cool fairy tale ending of sorts, sort of. Abigail, the recently widowed Abigail, David, seeing her beauty and also her wise counsel, takes her to be his wife and they get married. The end, all right? <laughs> and they all lived happily ever, except for Nabal. Uh, okay, you've made it with me through a very unique story. But there's a couple of major takeaways that I want us to get as we start to wrap up this morning. Number one, I want you to see that temptation and failure often come when we least expect it. Just last week, we were kind of praising David and, and looking at him as an incredible example of trusting God's timing and trusting God's faithfulness and not taking things into his own hands. And, and spoiler alert, next week in chapter 26, we'll be doing the same thing again. But there's David again, trusting God. And in the middle of these two mountain peaks, in the middle of these two highlights, comes a great failure. Because sometimes our greatest failures come after our great victories. Remember the children of Israel in the battle of Jericho and Ai? God gives them an incredible victory over the mighty city of Jericho. But in their pride and self-reliance, they look at the little town of Ai, they're like, oh, no problem. Don't even send all the armies. And they're brought to their knees by tiny little Ai. And so often that's how it is in our lives. Our, our temptation, our failures, they come when we least expect it. There's no victory in your Christian life that's great enough to rest upon. There's no season where it's safe to let your guard down. You see, many a marriage has started strong. Many a Christian has begun to grow and has let their guard down. 1 Peter 5.8, the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Remember we started off by talking about core memories? I'm sure David would love us to remember him by Goliath. He'd love us to remember that he spared Saul's life, and we do, but we also remember his Nabals. And so I encourage you, church family, be vigilant, be sober, be aware, because temptation and failure often come when we least expect it. Walk into God's calling for your life without the regret and the shame and the stain of some really poor decisions made in self-reliance and sin. Trust in God. 
So we see that David's failure is is a warning to us, but I also want to leave you with this. David's failure is an encouragement to us. Say, why is that? Because number two, greatness is not found in the absence of failure, but in our response to correction. You see, David is not referred to as a man after God's own heart because he never failed. He's referred to a man after God's own heart because every time he failed, he humbled himself, he repented, and turned back to God. What makes Saul the king that God rejected and David the future king who's a man after God's own heart? It's their response to their failure that separates them. You see, David responds with a, responds with a heart of humility, a posture of repentance, and turning back in faith to God. And Saul in 1 Samuel 15, when confronted with his sin, you know what he does? He points fingers, he makes excuses, he tries to shift the blame. It's an encouragement to us because all of us will fail. You will fail, I will fail. But being perfect and never failing is not a requirement for greatness. It's about getting back up again and repenting and turning back to God. The path to growing in our Christian life, it's not just linear, it's not always just up and to the right. It has highlights and lowlights and sanctification can sometimes look a little messy. But I encourage you, when you fail, and maybe you're here today and you feel like you're failing, hey, be encouraged by the message and the story of David and respond as David did. Turn back to God, repent to a point of trusting God again, worshiping God again, and walking in obedience to God again. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today, and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.